church. Um, we got a few announcements this morning. As always, if you are visiting with us, welcome to Friends Church. Uh, we'd love for you to fill out the communication card in your bulletin um, so we can get you hooked up with our email uh, and keep you current on all the events coming up. But this week, GGF, uh, for anybody that went to the women's retreat um, that was held here last month, uh, This Saturday, they're going to be doing uh, GGF breakout sessions um, that were at the women's retreat um, this Saturday. If you went to the women's retreat and you weren't able to go to all the breakout sessions and you want to check out other ones, or if you weren't able to go to the women's retreat at all and you'd like to know what was talked about there, they just want to um, invite you to come back this Saturday from 9 to 3. It's a free event. Um, I'm sure there's going to be food and good fellowship for you ladies um, to just be able to uh, look at again uh, what was spoken about at the women's retreat then and just uh, continue to grow fellowship uh, within the women of our church. And then this Sunday, uh, this next Sunday, the 17th, um, we want to invite anybody that wants to get baptized to uh, come to a class after the second service. Uh, You can call the uh, office this this week or talk to one of the staff um, after the service in the meet and greet and just sign up for that as well for baby baptism. What we do here at the church, if you don't know, is um, every other month we hold an event celebration Sunday where we have a, uh, a potluck on a Sunday night and we do baptisms and baby dedications that night, and we just have a night of worship. So that's going to be happening in two weeks. So if you're wanting to get baptized, sign up. Uh, there, And then our class for that will be next week, as well as a class for the baby dedication. Um, so wanted to make you aware of that. And that is all for now. So there's information on the back of your bulletin. We started putting announcements on there to keep you up to date as well. Um, but we're going to dismiss the kids and kisses at this time. Let me pray really quick. Father, we thank you for this body. Lord, we thank you for your church. Lord, that um, the beauty that your church holds, God, that we are the people that you died for, and that you, that you shed your blood, that we could be made one with you. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship this morning, for what you're doing in all aspects of this body. And for our children, Father, I pray that as they go to the kids' church uh, this morning, that you would be with them, that you speak to them, that you give their teachers wisdom and clarity on how to present the gospel to their little ears. And Lord, that you be glorified as head of this body. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can bring your kids to kids church right now. If you don't have kids, you can stand with us and we're going to continue to worship.
Can you feel it? The Book of Judges. So remember. <laughs> Whoa, not yet, not yet, not yet. Yeah, put a pause on that now. Nah. Jump it again up there. Give him a staircase. He thinks he's a cowboy. What's going on? Welcome to French Church, everybody. And yeah, look, we got a staircase, so no more squeaky ladder. Yeah. In a pretty booth back there. Eric has been busy all week, so. Uh, it's good to see you here if you're visiting us for the, uh, for the first time or haven't been back in a while. Welcome. Welcome back. It's good to see you. Uh, spring has sprung. We're really happy here at Friends. We, we feel we've made it through another winter. Uh, God has been kind enough to, to, to shepherd us through. And you probably remember or you've heard me talking about over the last couple of weeks or last couple of months uh, that we were raising a lot of funds to go out and do things in the world, doing missions. Uh, and we have, uh, we were able to support one particular mission, um, uh, Jessica Craig, who's going to come up right now and, and share with us. She is, uh, she's leaving tonight, right, Jessica? Yeah, yeah. And uh, she's going to, um, she's going to be the first Christian missionary um, on the moon. And uh, <laughs> or something like that. There you go. Hi, as Brian said, I'm Jesse Craig. Um, I am uh, about two year, two three years ago. I was a project manager for a civil engineering company here, and I had two weeks off, and I knew I wanted to go travel overseas somewhere. And um, my sister and all my friends that I normally travel with all had jobs, and they couldn't go with me. So I started praying about it, and um, God brought to mind this lady who I'd met in Machu Picchu. Um, two years before that, who did street ministry in this city called Iquitos, Peru. So I emailed her, and, um, and that's how I started working with this ministry called For Him, which stands for um, Hands in Motion. So um, a little background, Iquitos is the largest city in the world that's non-accessible by road, so it's placed right in the middle of the Amazon jungle. And you either fly there or you take a barge on the Amazon. So it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, it's a pretty poor city. So um, a lot of the families that live there live in really small houses. And as a result of that, and the family um, dynamic is not very strong there. And as a result, um, a lot of 11 and 12-year-old, mainly boys, get um, they either leave the house or they get kicked out of the house. And they live in the streets. And as a result of that, um, a lot of them get into alcoholism and drugs. And so 20-plus um, years ago, the lady that I minister with that started for him was in Iquitos. And she um, was there with a school trip checking out the rainforest. And she saw a group of these um, little boys that are in the streets. And they're sleeping in the streets on cardboard and hustling for whatever they can um, they can get to get food, and uh, God really just broke her heart for the injustice and, and broke her heart for those kids. And um, as a result, she started this ministry called For Him. And um, basically, it's just that, hands in motion. So she has become the mom of the streets. So when we go down there, and I started going with her, like I said, about three years ago. And so when we go down there, it's um, a couple different facets of our ministry. Um, 
The one is ministering to the street kids. And some of them, you know, and it's not even kids, just kids now. It's the people that are working in the streets, that are living in the streets. Um, it's ministering to the drug addicts and the alcoholics. It's um, doing medical stuff. A lot of times you're making just enough money to get by. And, for instance, there's one guy that we um, helped out that needed a to- something as simple to, to us. It's simple, a tooth pulled. But he was making just enough money to get by, but he didn't have the money to go get his tooth pulled. So it's showing God's love to them through um, medical um, ministries. And then um, the other facet is um, going is teaming up with ministries that are in the trenches day to day that are over there. So one of those that um, we work really closely with and we help support and fund is called Safe House. And it's the drug rehab program that a lot of the guys that are in the streets that we're ministering to end up going into if they decide to change their life. So um, the safe house, when we're over there, we go out in the streets a lot with them in the, in the evenings at night and um, lead worship in, in some of the um, rougher neighborhoods. Um, we help a, another ministry that's just starting up that is um, it's opening a, a kid's home. And they're also... Their main focus is the family. Like I said, the family dynamic over there is, um, it is, as a result, it's not there. A lot of times it's not there. So they are focusing on raising these young couples up that are coming maybe out of the drug rehab program or out of the streets, raising them up, discipling them so they can go out and in turn go out and minister and, and be proactive so that kids aren't, the family is strong, so the kids aren't ending up in the streets. Um, so we, when we're over there, we um, go out in the streets. You know, once once a month they have a birthday party for all the all the addicts, and we take a big cake down there and sing happy birthday. We pray for them and we share the love of God with them. Let them know that there is somebody that cares. That there is a God that cares about them. They're not alone. They're not just out in the streets alone by themselves. So that's one of the ministries that we, um, that we help support and we team up with while we're down there. And then the third one is um, a little different than the street ministry, but there's a um, gentleman that does river ministry. Um, his name's Alberto, and he goes up the river, and he'll go out for three months. So we help support. We um, buy all his food for him and buy his gas and supply him with Bibles so that he can reach the villages out in the middle of the Amazon where it might take two months to get out to some of these villages on a little putt-putt boat going up the Amazon. Um, and so we help support his ministry as well. So those are just, that's kind of just an overview of what For Him is and what our ministry is. Um, and I really appreciate the, um, the church here coming around and, and supporting us. It's huge. Prayer, especially like the biggest support is prayer. Um, God has done some amazing things over there just based on prayer, and it's changing lives.
Well, let's, let's pray for Jess before she leaves. As I said, she's, she's leaving tonight. So our dear Heavenly Father, we, it, you sent us. You gave us this great gift, and you tell us to go and share. We just want you to uh, protect Jess and the rest of the people who are, are in this mission. Um, uh, let them be a light in the darkness. Let's see lives changed over there in Peru. In uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. And it's fantastic, you know. And, and something you might know, know about, Jess, you're the volleyball coach, right? At, basketball coach at, at West Valley. So she's... She, She's taking this right now. She's, she's doing missions right here, and then she's going to go out into the world and do missions. So you can do it right here. You don't have to go all the way to Peru. Um, if God calls you to Peru, great. If God calls you to the moon, fine. You, you, <laughs> you might want to you know, check with one of your Christian brothers and sisters, and maybe you've uh, been hearing things that you shouldn't be hearing. But I'm sure he has a mission for you. So let's go ahead and take up the offering. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift and we thank you for the uh we thank you for the mission this is our mission we ask that you bless the mission in jesus name we pray amen go ahead and start that video for me rich and uh, we'll watch as we take up the uh offering the book of judges so remember after joshua led the tribes of israel into the promised land he called them to be faithful to their covenant with god by obeying the commands of the torah and if they do this they will show all the other nations what god is like so judges begins with the death of joshua and basically tells the story of israel's total failure the book's name comes from the type of leaders israel had in this period before they had any kings the tribes were all governed by these judges. Now, don't think of a courtroom. These were regional political military leaders, more like a tribal chieftain. And you need to be warned, the book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they become no different than the Canaanites. But this sad story is also meant to generate hope for the future. And you can see this in how the book's designed. There's a large introduction that sets the stage for Israel's failure as they don't drive out the remaining Canaanites. Then the large main section of the book has stories about the growing corruption of Israel's judges. And the progression here shows how Israel's leaders go from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. The concluding section is really disturbing and shows the corruption of the people of Israel as a whole. So let's dive in and we can explore each part a bit more. The opening section begins with the tribes of Israel in their territories in the Promised Land. And while Joshua defeated some key Canaanite towns, there was still a lot of land to be taken and lots of Canaanites living in those areas. And so chapter 1 gives a long list of Canaanite groups and towns that Israel just failed to drive out from the land. Now, remember, the whole point of driving out the Canaanites was to avoid their moral corruption and their way of worshiping the gods through child sacrifice. God had called Israel to be a holy people, and that does not happen. Chapter 2 describes how Israel just moved in alongside the Canaanites and adopted all their cultural and religious practices. And it's right here that the story stops. For nearly a whole chapter, the narrator gives us an overview of everything that's about to happen in the body of the book. This part of Israel's history, the narrator says, was a series of cycles moving in a downward spiral. So Israel became like the Canaanites, and so they would sin against God. So God would allow them to be conquered and oppressed by the Canaanites. And eventually, the Israelites would see the error of their ways and repent. 
So God would raise up a deliverer, a judge from among Israel who would defeat the enemy and bring about an era of peace. But eventually Israel would sin again and it would all start over. This cycle provides the literary design and flow for the next main section of the book. It gets repeated for each of the six main judges whose stories are told here. Now the stories of the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Deborah, they are epic adventures. They're also extremely bloody stories. Either the judge themselves or people who help the judge, they defeat their enemies and deliver the people of Israel. The stories about the next three judges are longer, and they focus in on the character flaws of the judges, which get increasingly worse. So Gideon, he begins pretty well. He's a coward of a man, but he eventually comes to trust that God can save Israel through him. And so he defeats a huge army of Midianites with only 300 men carrying torches and clay pots. But Gideon has a nasty temper and he murders a bunch of fellow Israelites for not helping him in his battle and then it all goes downhill from there. He makes an idol from the gold that he won in his battles and then after he dies all Israel worships the idol as a god and the cycle begins again. The next main judge is Jephthah who's something of a mafia thug living up in the hills and when things get really bad for Israel the elders come to him begging for his help. And Jephthah was a very effective leader. He won lots of battles against the Ammonites, but he was so unfamiliar with the God of Israel, he treats him like a Canaanite God. He vows to sacrifice his daughter if he wins the battle. This tragic story, it shows just how far Israel has fallen. They no longer know the character of their own God, which leads to murder and to false worship. The last judge, Samson, is by far the worst. His life began full of promise, but he has no regard for the God of Israel. He was promiscuous, violent, and arrogant. He did win brutally strategic victories over the Philistines, but only at the expense of his own integrity, and his life ends in a violent rush of mass murder. Now, a quick note. Here, you'll notice a repeated theme in the main section of the book, that at key moments, God's spirit will empower each of these judges to accomplish these great acts of deliverance. Now, the fact that God uses these really screwed up people doesn't mean he endorses all or even any of their decisions. God is committed first and foremost to saving his people, but all he has to work with is these corrupt leaders. And so work with them, he does. This whole section is designed to show just how bad things have gotten. You can't even tell the Israelites and the Canaanites apart anymore. And that's just the leaders. The final section shows Israel as a whole hitting bottom. There are two tragic stories here, and they are not for the faint of heart. They're structured by this key line that gets repeated four times at the close of the book. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The first story is about an Israelite named Micah who builds a private temple to an idol. And that gets plundered by a private army sent from the tribe of Dan. So they come and they steal everything. And then they go and burn down the peaceful city of Laish and murder all of its inhabitants. It's a horrifying story. When Israel forgets its God, might makes right. The final story of the book is even worse. It's a shocking tale of sexual abuse and violence, which all leads to Israel's first civil war. It's very disturbing. And that's the point. 
These stories are meant to serve as a warning. Israel's descent into self-destruction is the result of turning away from the God who loves them and saved them out of slavery in Egypt. And now Israel needs to be delivered again from themselves. The only glimmer of hope in this story is found in this repeated line in the last part of the book. It actually forms the last sentence of the story. Israel has no king. And so the stage is set for the following books to tell the origins of King David's family, the book of Ruth, and also the origins of kingship itself in Israel, the book of First Samuel. But the story of Judges has value as a tragedy. It's a sobering explanation of the human condition, and ultimately it points out the need for God's grace to send a king who will rescue his people. And that's the book of Judges. So, it, it, first of all, I, I can't recommend these video series enough. I mean, they're amazingly informative, as you just seen right there. It's, so as a tool, as a Bible study tool, it's called the Bible Project. Uh, this church actually is funding part of that. Uh, what they're doing is they're making uh, videos of every book of the Bible. Some books are kind of long, and so they have to make several videos. But if you go in there, you can watch these videos. And if you've ever read, you're reading like Judges, there's, there's so many characters, and there's so much going on, and you're like, oh, you're getting all caught up in the names, and you don't get the context. And the whole thing is just, you know, what you end up doing is getting so bogged down in the details that you miss out on the story. And so I recommend, even if you've, you've read the Bible, you're familiar with the Bible, go. Watch these before you sit down to read the book of Judges. Watch before you sit down to read something as, as dense and as, as sort of hard to understand as the book of Job. Make sure you go and watch the videos first. Uh, it's thebibleproject.com. Look it up. It's fantastic. They have about two-thirds of the Bible done, uh, and they're making these videos uh, rather quickly um, thanks to some funding that they've gotten from, from you, uh, as a matter of fact. So um, check them out. But what we see in this, yeah, it's fantastic. What we, what we see in this, this story, um, I think what we're going to come to understand today is what we see in this story is we see our story as well. Um, you see this, this cycle uh, uh, in the book of Judges of Israel, and they go through this cycle over and over and over, right? So the, things are pretty good, right? And then they say, oh, okay, well, thanks, God. You know, we appreciate all your help, and we'll take it from here. And as they do that, things start to get worse and worse and worse. Um, they're often taken into oppression by some bad group or, or a neighboring tribe. Uh, and then what happens? Then they finally say, enough is enough. We need your help. They uh, fall to their knees, repent, and, and pray for God. And God, being ever faithful... And being willing to see us make a mistake over and over and over again, of course, will raise up a deliverer, a judge, who conquers the bad guys. Things look better for a while. Everybody says, thank you, God. They're relying on God again, right? So things are good. And then, again, we start to do the same thing we all do. Each and every one of us does. When things are good, we get cocky. We forget who we came to the dance with, right? There's somebody a little bit more attractive over there we want to go dance with. Or say, hey, you know, I'm just going to go talk to that fellow over by the punch bowl. That fellow over by the punch bowl is a Canaanite. And before you know it, bam, right back in this death spiral. Things getting worse and worse and worse. 
And you often say to yourself, especially if, if you're, you're coming from a, a place of addiction, you know if you've had some recovery that uh, rock bottom might just be <laughs> death. And that's what usually ends up happening. Um, it gets worse and worse and worse. If you don't think it can get any worse, uh, you're, you're wrong. And as we see in this uh, story, that's exactly what happened. So what happened? Why did this happen? They, God had taken them. Remember the stories we've talked about. God had taken the Israelites out of bondage through the desert for 40 years, got them to the promised land. Remember this entire time they're eating manna, right? They don't even have food. God's providing their very sustenance. The day they get in there, the manna dries up and says, you don't need to eat that anymore. Look what I've given you. I've given you the promised land. I promised you I'd get you here. I got you here. Now you've got this awesome land. It's going to provide everything you need. I need you to do a couple of things. And they're for your own good, your own benefit. I need you to obey my law, not because it's arbitrary, but because it's a great, it's great advice for living a godly and healthy life. Obey this law. The other thing is, you know those Canaanite people? I don't want you to have anything to do with them. They're bad. They're really bad people. How bad? But if you're reading through it, and some people find it disturbing that God says, I want you to utterly destroy them. Anybody of those Canaanites that doesn't get out when you come in beating your war drums, I want you to kill every one of them. That's how bad they are. Man, woman, and child, you need to drive these people out. They were worshiping pagan gods. Okay, in and of itself, maybe that doesn't seem like a bad thing. Maybe we can introduce them to the law. Eh, you know, what, 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 what problem? What could it possibly go wrong with just worshiping this little golden calf or this Asherah or, or worshiping the god Baal? Well, the problem is, is how they worshiped him. All right? It had so infected their society that sexual promiscuity was a big thing. Adultery was a huge thing. When they, had, uh, when they would have dreams, if, if, you, dreamt, uh, if you dreamt about uh, uh, having uh, uh, relations with your wife, it was a bad dream. If you dreamt about having relations with your mother-in-law, it was a good thing. I mean, they were so messed up. Incest. Adultery. That's right. Incest. Not, not only in their own lives, but in the temple as part of their worship. This is how bad they were. Child sacrifice. They had this God, Moloch. They put him up there and they'd take the child, usually the firstborn child. And there's a burning cauldron under him and they would hold the child and they would put the child into the arms of this, this brass statue. And there I'll read. An account of it, just to give you an idea of what it was like. Whenever they wished to succeed in any great enterprise, they would vow by one of their children, if they achieved the things they had longed for, to sacrifice him to a god. A bronze image of Cronus was set up among them, stretching out its cupped hands above a bronze cauldron, which would burn the child. As the flame burning the child surrounded the bodies, the limbs would shrivel up and the mouth would appear to grin as if laughing until it was shrunk enough to slip into the cauldron and die. This was a good thing in Canaanite culture. Is it any wonder that God said, I don't want you to have anything to do with them? Oh, we're just going to coexist. What problem? We've killed most of them. We've tamed them. They're paying us tribute now. What could possibly happen? No, God said, I don't want you to have anything to do with them. And we did. They did. It infected their culture down to the last person, and you see what happens. 
God would raise up these judges. They would be good for a while, but there was no king. Actually, they had a king. They had God. What they kept hoping for was a a man to come along who was somehow going to have superpowers to fix their their plight for good. Well, that was never going to happen because they had not driven out the Canaanites. They had adopted their culture. They were living among them. This is the human condition. In those days, Israel had no king. Everybody did as they saw fit. You see this verse repeated over and over. Everybody did whatever they wanted to do. We see the same thing happen in the the New Testament. Paul's writing in Ephesians. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So it's not just the Israelites over here in the Old Testament. All of us, the human condition is we are deserving of wrath. We are dead in our transgressions. We are dead in our iniquities and our sins. We lived in the ways of this world, the fleshy ways of this world. So because of that, because we were born into it, because this is our condition, we were dead. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is at now at work in those who are disobedient. You know who the ruler of the kingdom of the air is? Who the ruler of this world is? The prince of darkness, El Diablo. He's the one at work in this world. He's the one at work in our hearts, our human hearts. This is the way we're born. Like the rest, because of this, we are deserving of wrath. And we look at that, we say, oh, come on, we're not as bad as the Canaanites. They weren't as bad as the Canaanites, you know? They were sexually immoral. We're not as bad as that. Okay, uh, well, we don't, you know, we, we, don't, we don't do some of these things, right? You know, we, we're not, we're, well, okay, maybe we do the promiscuity thing. Maybe that seems to be getting worse. And then there's this whole gender identification thing and people deciding to be whatever they want and, and be with whomever they want. And okay, well, maybe we have some of that going on. Oh, uh, but w- there's not like incest and, and sex with children. Okay, well, maybe we do have some of that, but we don't like it. You know, we don't promote it. No, right? Oh, but at least we're not sacrificing our children. At least we're not doing that, right? At least we haven't killed 40 million babies here in the United States since Roe versus Wade came. At least we're not doing that, right? This is the human condition. Things haven't changed. We've come untethered from God in this country and in this world. And because of that, we see ourselves sliding in the same direction that the Israelites did as well. Just turn on TV. Remember what it was like 20 years ago. Watch it now. Tell me we're not going in that direction. We've gone from saying these things aren't okay to saying, okay, I don't think they're okay, but I'm going to tolerate them, to saying that they're okay, to saying that, oh, 
oh, they're not only okay, this sexual immorality is not only okay, you need to celebrate it. And if you don't like it, the problem is you. That's how flipped around everything is. We're in this death spiral because this is the human condition. The story of judges is our story without Jesus Christ. Our judge is Jesus Christ. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of these evil kings. The Israelites were subject for years and years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up a deliverer. In the New Testament, the people living in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of the dead, a light has dawned. Scripture goes on today to say, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. They were stuck, you see. They were stuck over there. They only had the law. The best that they could hope for in their lives was to hopefully catch it up on an upcycle, right? When God had raised up a judge and, and a deliverer there and things were good, they would hope to catch it on the upcycle. That's the best they could hope for. That is not the best we can hope for. Because we have a different judge. We don't have to worry about slaughtering the Canaanites and pushing them out. We're not at war with the Canaanites. We have a new condition. We have a new existence because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. John 1, 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So you got the prince of this world, the prince of darkness in this world, working, powerful. You guys know it. You've seen it in your own lives. Jesus Christ is born. His ministry starts. The light comes into the world. And the light is so powerful that the darkness cannot even comprehend it. The, the darkness tries to go near it, tries to encompass it, tries to, 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 to somehow cover it up so that the world can't see it. But the light just pierces through it. This is Jesus Christ. This is what he's done in our lives. This is who we tap into to defeat evil. He's our Savior. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. That you may not declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The Jews were told to drive out the Canaanites, to drive out the darkness, and they failed. Because they, they wanted a man. They wanted a judge. They wanted somebody up to come up and do the work that they didn't want to do. God knew this was going to be our position in life. He knew this was going to be our condition since the beginning of the world, since he gave us free choice. He knew this is how he would muck it up. But he had a promised plan. 
We've been talking about that for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you see God's faithfulness through this entire thing. You see there's a way, a direction this is going. The promised plan. And he came. He was faithful. He came. He pierced the darkness. He brought the word of God. And it was sharp like a sword. And cut out and excised the falseness of this world. And he gave his life for us. He gave it so that we wouldn't have to worry about driving out the darkness in our hearts. Because he knew that we could never do that on ourselves. Because on ourselves, our hearts, our hearts are old or black. They only think about ourselves. And so he came, he died on the cross, and he gave you a new heart. A new heart. And you know that you did nothing to deserve it. We were children of wrath. This is what we were deserving of. But God came and said, nope, no more. Here's your new heart. You're justified. You're cleansed because of the blood of the cross. Now you've got a great responsibility. Because of this knowledge of your salvation. And and because you couldn't boast about it. Because you know it was none of your doing. You have a tremendous responsibility. To share that with the world. We become the light because Christ lives inside of us. And just like those people last week that we saw in that video who got sick of the darkness and kept waiting for something to happen, waiting for the politicians to do something about it, but the politicians were part of the problem. The church, the church which was supposed to be a light, was part of the problem. So what did they have to do? They had to repent. They had to remember That God was with them, that the light was with them, and that because of that, they have a responsibility. And they came together and repented, and they prayed, and they made a difference in that town. They drove out the darkness. That place was horrible. I asked people like Ben, Kathy's wife, Kathy Stacy, Ben Stacy. I said, hey, do you know about this, um, this, uh, what was it, Clark County? Was it Clark County, I think? Clay County. He said, you ever heard of Clay County, Kentucky? And he went, ooh, he's from Kentucky. Ooh, we don't go there. That was a bad place, man. You have no idea. But it was nothing for Jesus Christ. We have darkness here in Fairbanks, Alaska. It's nothing for Jesus Christ. I see you guys moving, and this is going to be something we come to back to over and over again is getting out there as Jess is doing, as, as Kayla's doing with their homeless program, as, as the youth groups are doing here, as the men and the women's groups are doing here. They're not just content to sit here on Sunday and say, okay, I've done my part. No, they're going out there into the world because they know that's their responsibility. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good deeds, lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You're not part of that world anymore. God transferred you into his kingdom. But he's telling you, you can't just stay here. You need to go, but you go there. You live as a foreigner, as an exile. You go there because you're under a new flag now, but you still go there. And you live such amazing lives among them. You live, you do, you live such a life of example by having Christ live through you. 
Not just going out and feeding homeless, but every single day when you go out there, you drop to your knees and you thank God for your new life. And because of that, when you go out there, you're a light to the world. You attract people to him. It's not for your own, hey, look how light and shiny I am. It's because you want to point them back to Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor is the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. When you go out there into the world, there's going to be ignorant talk of foolish people because they still have the darkness living inside of them. And they're going to think and they're going to say things about you and they're going to say things about Christians. You need to prove them wrong. You need to show them what it's really like to live like Christ. And that will shut them up faster than anything. Not because they'll feel shame. Maybe that's the case. But because if you do it right, if you live the right kind of life, they're going to be attracted to it. Like moths to a flame, they will come flying to you. They will want to know what you've got going on in your life. And you will have an opportunity right there and right then to share the gospel. You'll be able to bring them into the kingdom. I mean, this, yeah, it's a great responsibility, but what an awesome responsibility. What an awesome task we have. What an awesome God we have. We'll call up the band and we'll finish up with this, but I'm going to wrap this up and just say, listen, the story of Judges is our story. It's the story of God who's faithful to his promise from the beginning. But we don't need a hero who can save us from the enemies in the big bad world out there. For those of you who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and for those of you had who can back me up on this, we don't need to be saved from the enemies out there. We need to be saved from the enemy in here. Darkness lives inside each and every one of us. And we needed somebody to come, not a, a man who could temporarily take care of the problem. We needed a man who didn't have to worry about his own sin because he was perfect to help us with ours. A man can't change a heart. A man can't give you a new heart. A judge isn't going to do that. Jesus will. Watching this kind of world, the world we live in, where people do what's right in their own eyes, is proof that we need Jesus Christ more than ever. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to go into to David. Because remember how this ends, this story ends here in Judges. They needed a king. They needed somebody to get them. Not a permanent solution. They just needed somebody to get them to Jesus. And God, being the faithful God that he was, is going to get them there once again. The great thing is we have a king. We have the sovereign of heaven. We have the king. Isn't that great? That's great news. We don't have to worry about driving out the darkness on our own because we know we can't do it. What we need is a new heart. What we need is Christ to come inside of us and live that, be that light for us. As I was getting ready for this sermon, we're praying over it on Tuesday. I finally, for the first time in my life, 
understood the song, This Little Light of Mine. I was like, I always thought, you know, hide it under a bush. Oh, no. You know, that whole part. Not going to let Satan it out, that whole thing. I thought that they were trying to teach me as a little kid that I shouldn't be ashamed of my faith. Now I realize I don't want to cover it up. I don't want to. I don't want to let Satan blow it out. Not because I don't want to be ashamed of it, but because it's it's the one thing that's going to save this world, and it's the thing that God has put inside of me, and has put inside of you. You can't hide it under a bush. Satan can't poof it out. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, and I hope each one of you will let it shine. And for those of you who haven't accepted Jesus Christ, for those of you who don't have the life of light inside of you, we're going to pray for you right now. Lord, you provide us this light that never goes out because of what you did on the cross. It's the great news. We know we have a responsibility and we are going to go forth out into this community and into our own lives and into our own little circle of influences. And we are going to be a light. We are going to make a difference. And one of the things, Lord, that we know we can make a difference in is touching those who haven't seen the light yet, Lord. And we want to pray for those people right now who are sitting and watching at home or sitting here in in the congregation with us today. If they need to see the light, have them open their eyes. You're standing there shining into their hearts, ready to give them a new one. As always, we ask your blessing as we go forth on our mission during this week to come. In all things, we ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a good week.